Hello, James. Hey, Jack. How are you doing on this, uh, I guess, snowy day in Seattle? Yeah, it's a little snowy, but not as not as snowy as the as they were predicting. I kind of think that weather gets sometimes. I don't know. The extremes get overly predicted, as that gives attention to the weather, and then the people predicting the weather get more attention, which is good for them. But yeah, there's a lot of a uh, there's a lot of media attention on extreme weather patterns. We're not going to dive deeper into that topic today. Um, <laughs> but let it be stated for the record, what we are going to talk about today is much, much more interesting. Uh, we have on a repeat guest, but someone who has not been on the podcast since 2016, which is really weird to say. But this is, I think, one of the guests who has been most helpful uh, to my bottom line and to a lot of the listeners of this show and many other people throughout the poker community. It's none other than Tell's expert and fantastic poker player, Zach Elwood. Zach, how you doing? Hey, hey guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. So, James, you've been sort of diving into the world of tells, which is a useful thing to do in the low-stakes streets. Do you want to talk to us about what you've been thinking about and maybe bring us into the hand? Yeah, sure. So, I think a lot of the value or a lot of the value of live tells has been ignored by a lot of people these days um as as a you know as people have gotten more into solvers like that's that's something that they can spend their time studying and you know for training sites it's kind of hard to like give someone advice on live tells because they can be really subtle and you know they can mean different things from different players or different things like based on the exact scenario so um i think a lot of people are a little bit less careful with their life tells they give off and it's especially true at the lower stakes but you know if you're on a riv- on the river in like a really polarized situation <laughs> it can really uh it can really help if you get like a strong read that they're uh you know they're bluffing or something anyway i'll just add to that you know i'm not regularly playing in life stakes games but I have been doing this podcast called Punted Off with Matt Hunt, and that's through the Software Y platform. That's actually coming to YouTube. I think our first YouTube-based episode actually drops today. Uh, today is January 15th. But what I've noticed is that <laughs> there's quite a few tells being given off you know, on the high end of things too. And I, I actually think that the emphasis on solvers and the emphasis on playing a quote-unquote GTO strategy has desensitized people a little bit to being very diligent in not giving off tells. It's something I've noticed in the sort of newer crop of professionals and what high stakes hands, what those hands look like, especially when they're being played between two professionals. I think people, there's a, a good amount of, or there's a fair lack of diligence in terms of disguising tells. So I would say regardless of stakes, probably more importantly at the lower stakes, but even up until the nosebleeds, you know, paying attention to this stuff and having a strong idea of what to look for and what different actions might mean is, is very useful. I don't know if, uh, I'm sure you have a lot to add to that, Zach, if, you know, given that this is your field. Yeah. I mean, um, I definitely think they're, um, undervalued by a lot of people and i think it uh at the same time i think a lot of people are also like you guys recognize the strength i mean for example i've done some uh, private training and, and giving up my um selling of my products and, and services to some you know private uh poker staking groups that uh give my materials to their members you know and, and these guys play you know pretty high stakes tournaments and stuff and so I think, you know, I think there's also a, a good amount of recognition of the of the value of tells too. You know, it, it, it might just not be talked about as much because I think the people that do recognize it don't like to draw attention to it. 
and uh, especially good players, you know, when they recognize it, they don't like to draw attention to it. Like I've had a lot of people tell me they like my stuff, but they would never like endorse it or like write a review of it because they don't want other people to read it, you know, and I've had many <laughs> people tell me that, which is kind of like, it's, it's the best compliment they can give me, but you know, not, doesn't help me much, but it's, it's still appreciated, obviously, no, just knowing that people appreciate, like my stuff. So, but yeah, I think it's undervalued by some, and I think it's at the same time, I think a lot of people recognize the value at the same time. Yeah, and it's important to be cognizant of the fact that poker players don't always, you know, the amount of poker players who have some kind of media presence, I think, is on the rise. People talking about strategy, people tweeting about uh, specific hands or giving justifications for why they played a hand one way or another on TV. And it's important to recognize that, like, the incentives to tell the truth are not always very high. And so you might be getting an explanation that, oh, I did this because I saw Pluribus do something similar and I looked at the solve and it said that that was fine. When right. really they were actually trying to just exploit the shit out of their opponent in that moment. Right. You don't want to say that. Right. So you have to be, you know, everyone is putting off a super GTO front right now because it's a, it's a very, in some ways it's a very non-threatening way uh, and in something that doesn't actually give away some of the things that make up your true edge. And so it's important to be cognizant of the fact that you can't always trust what people are telling you about the decisions that they actually made. That's Naturally true. on just hands, we would never lie to you about anything. <laughs> you know, that goes without saying. But anywhere else, keep your keep your guard up for, you know, your bullshit detector should be on when you're listening to pros talk about the decisions that they made. It's definitely true. I mean, I've d- done interviews of, you know, high stakes players who, you know, tell me things off the record or the, or they'll say, you know, I'm playing with the, the, they won't say who it is, but they'll kind of describe something about it off the record, uh, specific tells or, um, you know, it, it makes sense. You, you know, if, if you have, uh, edges on people, especially people you play with regularly, you don't want to give away that information. Right. So it's pretty hard. It's it's nice when people do open up. It's pretty rare, understandably, but it's nice when people, uh, good good strong players, high stakes players, open up about specific spots where they use tells. You know, I, I keep an eye out for spots like that just because it is so rare. So James, you had a spot where you used a tell. I hear. <laughs> let's let's get into some hands. Let's get into some specifics. What what was this hand? Where did it take place? Now I'm like paranoid that. Everyone's gonna listen to the podcast and start throwing all these reverse tells at me. But um, on that on that on that <laughs> note, I play in a lot of private games in New York, and I don't talk about those hands here on the podcast for obvious reasons. Shout out to all you guys. Well, I, and I only say shout out to all you guys because I found out somewhat recently that a lot of the game has been listening to the podcast pretty regularly. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> <me> knowing, <laughs> which is which is fine. You know, it hasn't. I wouldn't say the impacts of that are necessarily bad. Um, I'll leave it at that. But yeah, you you know, you're putting well, yourself... For all, for all they know, this is a complex, you know, we could be giving them this information through this. This could all be set up to give uh-huh. them wrong information. So just want to throw that out there to, as a warning <laughs> to, to the people you play with. Shh. <laughs> all right. Hand. Hand. Um, so in this hand, um, it's one three, the limit at uh, the Red Dragon in uh, uh, Poker Room in North Seattle. There are four limps, as there typically are in these games. Uh, I don't remember all the positions of limpers, but I made it twenty five on the button with. King of Clubs, Queen of Diamonds, and Under the Gun and Hijack both called. So it's um, Under the Gun had 300 and Hijack had 500. And I think I covered it this time. Right. And it's 1 3 300 spread limit? Yeah. So the spread's probably not going to come into play in this hand to any great degree. It's unlikely. Yes. Okay, great. I don't think there's. From my seat, there's not much to say about this, you know, preflop action. Yeah, maybe we could we can speed through this one a little bit to Great. maybe get some more 
more of the live read stuff because I have have a couple other ones too. All right, um, 75. So the flop is three ways. Um, the flop is queen of clubs, four of spades, five of diamonds. It checks to me. I bet 25 and both villains call. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, in the, in the interest of speeding along, Mm-hmm. Let's move on. I I would normally size larger with uh, a hand this strong at this point. Either split my range either between bluffs and value for different sizes is pretty common for me, or take some of my weaker queen x and choose a larger sizing, but choose the big sizing with king queen ace queen. It, it's typically how I approach the spot. But yeah, I think like the mid pairs are a bit more tempted to peel for the. 25 and might consider folding for the um for like a larger size like sixes through nines or tens maybe however i also can see like a lot of players like just putting you quote unquote on ace king here and getting a little bit stubborn with those but yeah anyway i bet 25 and both villains call i don't think there's any I don't, I don't, it was a while ago, so I don't remember any of the timing tells really. The checks to me on the turn, the turn is, oh, sorry, the turn is a seven of clubs, 150 in the pot. Checks to me, and I bet 75. Um, so it's about half pot. And Jack, I remember you were kind of advocating checking back here and to uh, bluff catch on a lot of rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I think this is a spot where it's not so much that we're checking back exclusively the bluff catch. It's a recognition that a lot of the hands that peel this flop land on the turn sort of in the poles of the range uh, in such a way that it makes betting and facing a raise very difficult for us here. Uh, Our opponents can reasonably turn hands like 5-6, 4-6, 7-6 into a bluff here, and our opponents have quite a bit of value. The aforementioned 7s, slow played 4s and 5s, turn 2 pair, turn straights. Uh, 8-7 is another hand that can potentially bluff. So there's just quite a few hands that can bluff us here. And also, it's a spot where like, if we had a hand like Ace-King or Ace-Jack, it's kind of a it doesn't really look like we would necessarily continue bluffing because there's just so much of our opponent's range that's equitable at this point. And so I think uh, our opponents can potentially, if they're very savvy, get away from hands like uh, queen 10, queen jack here. So I think that's sort of why I'm leaning towards check turn because I think that we can bluff catcher get away on a lot of rivers. And when it, when we get a very safe river card, we're going to be able to put in a value bet and against like the queen jack queen 10 hands. I think it's, if they call the turn, it's not so likely that they also call the river. Uh, what are your thoughts here, Zach? Oh um, yeah. I think what you're saying makes sense. I don't have any, anything to add there. Well, I did decide to, yeah, bet that 75 and um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, I think a check could be good here, but I don't think a bet is, um, like, terrible. Um, I doubt a bet. Sure. No, yeah. I mean, terrible is... It's hard to make a terrible bet with, like, top here, strong kicker. Yeah. I would say... I think this is also part of why I like sizing up on the flop with... King-Queen is a tricky hand, but with ace-queen or kings or aces... Part of the part of the value in sizing up on the flop is if we can gain confidence that some of these gut shots or hands like sevens, sixes, eights fold, then it makes this a cleaner turn card for us. Still a little bit of a tricky spot, but it increases our barrel ability and our ability to just kind of like try and extract the max from a queen jack, queen ten. Uh, I think it's easier for us to continue bluffing with hands like ace-king or ace-jack mm-hmm. on this turn card. 
I would say yeah. I, I'd probably I probably would bet it myself, but that's just because of the low limits and how many how much loose action you're ten, you'll tend to give. But that's my that's why I would probably bet it. I think that's a good point. You know, the the more you can bet fold here, the better betting becomes. Right, right. And that's a really big luxury of the low stakes is the fact that players just don't bluff enough. So yeah, I think it's uh, you know, I don't think there's gonna be a huge EV difference. I like I like check just because it's a lower volatility strategy in a spot where I don't think there's a huge difference. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think 75 is very defensible. All right. So both opponents end up calling again. And the river is the ten of clubs, which does bring the backdoor flush in. So just to review, the flop was queen of clubs, four, five, rainbow, turn seven of clubs, river, ten of clubs. So there aren't a lot of backdoor club draws that get here, but there are some. On the river, under the gun leads for um, all in for 130 into 300 and the hijack folds. So now we're faced with a bit of a tough decision. Um, it's So he's betting like almost half pot, like 45% pot or something. And so at this point is where I tried to get a little bit more information. So maybe we should talk about this spot before um, bringing in the uh, verbal exchange to kind of establish a baseline. Yeah. Can I clarify something real quick? Because it's, I think you, I think the uh, on the turn it said it was 150, and you bet 75 and got two calls. Is that right? Oh, is that right? Oh. Or was I, it? Or did you just get one call on the turn? I think you're right. I think the pot is 375 on the river. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, you're right. So it's like a third pot. Yeah, it's a pretty small, uh, pretty small bet there. Yeah, we don't have to be right very often. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have to have a pretty good, uh, a pretty strong tell that somebody was uh, strong to f- to fold here. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, that's the first thing to say, I guess. Good, good catch on the math. Yeah. It's it's a little, it's a little disgusting, I I think. Mm-hmm. And to me. The thing that kind of saves you is the suicide propensity. And by that, I mean, I think there's an, so, okay. I'll start out by saying, I don't think your opponent has much incentive to bluff here because I don't think many players fold hands like yours for $130. And it's not easy for the combination of you and your opponent to not have a combined calling frequency that like highly disincentivizes like this lead shove. Yeah. It's not to say that like, I think you do, you can have bluffs here. Maybe, you know, hands that come to mind would be like ace king with a club. And it puts your, the opponent in the middle in a tough spot. So in sort of a more deep thinking way, I actually do think like, this is a spot where like you can conceivably make a good bluff because you're sort of leveraging the monkey in the middle aspect of the hand to squeeze what might be a, a more bounded range in the middle and then hope that there's enough just kind of like air type bluffs that decide to fold here. You know, now that's not to say that ace king is, I mean, I think ace king is a pretty trivial fold here. It's just hard for your opponent to have much worse. Uh, even like some of the bluffs beat ace-king. So that's the kind of thought process that I think can get you to see this 130 shove as like a fine bluff. But I don't think that many 1-3 players are thinking like that. So I think the, the bluffing is more of a, well, this didn't work out. I guess I'm ready to go home. I'm all in. <laughs> 
that kind yeah. of thing. And I think there's a there's an element too. I think it, you know at, at the low stakes and well, I guess probably throughout stakes, there's going to be an element of you know part of the thought pro- process is them seeing the back door flush come in and being like, well, it's unlikely anybody has that, and, and that's part of their process too. You know, like I can represent it because it's unlikely anybody has it. You know. Even yeah. if it's kind of it's a full, even if it's a foolhardy spot, sometimes it's just combined with like, well, I missed and I got to do something, and probably nobody has that backdoor flush. You know, that's their at least that's what they're thinking. You know, part of the 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 reason I think that this is it's one thing for our opponent to not necessarily have obvious bluffs, other than sort of just like a desperation bluff is that I think this is a spot where when our opponent has value, they will shove here relatively frequently. Because it's a spot where it looks like for you, your range, a lot of your flop turn value maybe doesn't like this card enough to continue going for value, or a lot of the field would not. So when your opponent does have like some kind of either slow plate or river two pair or a slow played straight or a rivered flush. I do think these hands lead frequently. Yeah, that's that's definitely true of the um a lot of the games I'm playing in. Um another thing I wanted to bring up is the history. I'm gonna I think I found it. So an earlier hand yeah, an earlier hand, the same guy, he's like in his mid thirties. He checked queen seven four three ways um, after as a preflop raiser and called on a five and just checked back on a queen on the river with king queen. So he had like, yeah, he didn't go for value on the flop. He just called, yeah, he called the turn with top pair. And then when it checked to him on the river, he was like, yeah, he was scared of like, on five seven four yeah with two queens so yeah it was a pretty pretty nitty check back um from him and so that that made me lean uh, that made me lean a bit more towards um fold here even though it's a bit kind of crazy i definitely think it's uh it's it is a spot in my opinion at those stakes where it'll it'll usually be value. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll it'll in that kind of situation. I think most of the time, like a large percentage of the time, it's going to be value. Yeah, and we have to decide like we're getting the really good. Yeah, price. you're getting really good price, but at the same time, if, if it, you think, if you think yeah. it's like ninety percent plus value, yeah, that's, uh, that's the kind of the tough spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I actually think your evidence of the your opponent not choosing to go for a thin value is a plus for you in this spot. Uh, because that's actually a really common mistake that I find myself taking advantage of, seeing opponents not value betting their river enough. Uh, so you think he's more polarized here, like he's not going with... Exactly. He's just like, like going with a flush. The player who doesn't value bet river thinly, I think also shoves queen 10 or like slow played 7-5 less often here. Yeah, that's a valuable point. And so you might it might be more of like a flushes some you know lower frequency of those types of hands, and then the kind of desperation bluff class. Mm-hmm. To me, this might be like a. I think when you originally when I originally saw this hand, I thought the pot was three hundred. We didn't have Zach here to <laughs> help uh, us with some math. To help us with uh, our addition. <laughs> I think it's a lot closer at that size. I think for, you know, here, I don't think our opponent's calculus will change enough. And so the extra money in the pot just sort of helps. So um, like shrug call because it's low stakes and like, it's kind of hard to beat a King and our opponent might just be doing something really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I think I would tend to tend to fold this against your average player unless I'd seen them, you know, in a vacuum, I think I would tend to fold it against your average low stakes player unless I'd seen them be, you know, do something unusual just because, yeah, I do feel like it'll usually be 
actually be a flush or like queen 10 or something like a large majority of the time, even with the, even with the good price. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. I, I tend, I tend to probably fold a little bit too often in, in spots like this where somebody randomly represents strength on the river, you know, but I tend to think it's a good idea in general. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify, the queen is the club on the flop. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. So that reduces um, queen X of club combos. All right. So in a close spot like this, sometimes it can be useful to try and get some more information. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I think I, I initiated the conversation, but yeah, I was trying to to talk to this guy, and um, I remembered from some of my readings of Zach's work, and I think his uh, he has some YouTube videos as well on live tells that you guys should check out. I'll post a I'll post a link, but um, yeah, I I was going to try and get him to eliminate some strong a strong hand from his range which um bluffers are pretty unwilling to do um but well anyway i'll i'll say what i did i i was talking to him and i was like like oh do you have a good hand and uh he seemed pretty calm and he was when um when i was talking to him he said uh well i don't have the nut flush and um that kind of made me think like, well, he's probably not going to eliminate a strong hand from his range when he's going for a bluff. Um, so it made me feel pretty good about my fold. Um, I did have the king of clubs, which again, like reduces some of the flush combos, but um, yeah, I, he just, he seemed pretty relaxed and yeah, him eliminating a strong hand from his range made me think that, um, it was probably value. So I decided to fold, but then, um, he, sh- uh, well, let's, let's hear what, let's hear what Zach has to say. Yeah. So you were, you were folding based on the idea that I write about a lot, which is that, um, we can't statements from players making significant bets will, uh, you know, weak in a weak means strong way, uh, tend to equate with, relaxation and strong hands. So if a player, in other words, if a player weakens their range, uh, like this player did here saying, I don't have the nut flush, then it's likely that they're relaxed because they're, you know, a bluffer doesn't have an incentive to, to weaken their range. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's why, that's why, that's why you follow just setting up the, the X, ex, the full explanation there for people who are new to that concept. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I mean, we can go into it more. Maybe it's good to go into the details more after we you show the results, I think, or um, or do you want me to just give my? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll I'll tell the results. I won't okay. leave everyone hanging. So we folded, and um, he turned over his ace three of hearts. I think so. He had a he was really going for it there. He had the, a the gut, gut shot, shot on the turn, and I guess his ace was good, but kind of hard to know that anyway so yeah it was i was a bit surprised to see that and um the other thing you pointed out uh was that he put some when when you wrote this email to me about it you said that he put some slight emphasis on the word nut so he said yeah i don't i don't have the nut flush right yeah exactly that's which is kind of an interesting clue we'll talk more about that yeah um but yeah, do you want me to go into some some more thoughts on this? Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the first thing that stood out to me when you sent that was it's definitely an interesting hand um, because it is a reversal of the usual uh, rule that you know weak means strong. So in my book Verbal Poker Tales, I talk about this exact pattern, which was kind of a um, kind of an exception to the you know the weak hand uh, statement equals strong hand rule. Uh, when somebody removes the very the the top nuts uh, from their range, it actually it's either um, less meaningful or or a clue that they're they're bluffing. And the idea here is that uh, you know if it's it's kind of a well known pattern that a uh, somebody will uh, somebody who's 
relaxed will um, you know want to remove the the very top uh, of the range so for example it's it's kind of understood that somebody you know betting um, betting a strong hand might say I don't have quads you know um, yeah so it's actually a, a known exception that uh, bluffers will uh, try to emulate this by uh, removing the the very nutted part of their their range, and by by doing that, they're communicating. Well, I don't have um, the absolute nuts, but I'm relaxed enough to you know by by removing the the absolute nuts, I'm implying that I have uh, uh, you know something strong, and uh, the fact that this player specifically. Uh, put the emphasis on the word uh, nut here when he said, I don't have the nut flush. It's actually a way to communicate strength because what he's communicating is, well, I don't have the nut flush, but I have a flush, right? So in, in a way, it's more of a strong hand statement than it is a, yeah. it is a weak hand statement, really. Uh, yeah. Especially with, with, that, with that emphasis, especially, yeah. It's kind of nice in this case because if we're thinking about our decision, we obviously don't have the nut flush so <laughs> can be uh yeah it's pretty pretty low risk to like right yeah, that you know, exact yeah, hand. You know, yeah, yeah exactly I, that's that's the yeah that's the a good way to look at it too it's like yeah he, he, he doesn't he, he doesn't lose much by uh eliminating the strongest uh hand from his range right yeah and yeah it kind of makes sense psychologically like you're trying to to make your story a bit more believable like oh like i don't have like yeah, the strongest, the very strongest possible hand, but, you know, anyway. Yeah, and, and it's just a, it's something that shows up a good amount. Like, you're you're seldom going to find a bluffer who's going to eliminate, uh, you know, weaker uh, hands than the nuts. Like, if, if like a bluffer's going to They're not going to say, like, I don't have trips or something. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to want to eliminate more believable ranges or something, you know, there's a reason they pick that strongest hand to eliminate, you know, that it's because they know they don't lose much because of it. They know that there's, uh, they're kind of, they know that they're kind of emulating a theoretical, uh, behavior that mm -hmm. a value better would have. There's all these factors that make it more likely that, you know, of all the hands they're going to eliminate, it's going to be the nuts. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, Oh, just a quick, can I ask like a quick question? Like, I just wanted to say, um, you were, you were advocating, like asking if they had a straight or something in this scenario, because that's a hand that, well, it's pretty unlikely, but, um, it's not something they're going to admit that they don't have if they're bluffing, but they would admit that they don't have if they were value betting. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, so what I recommend those spots, if you're going to ask something like that, like pick something that's not, not the strongest hand, because that way, like, obviously you're not often going to get an answer in, in any case, but if, if someone is the type to respond here and, and deny that they have that hand, then it makes you, uh, it makes it more or more actionable, you know, as opposed to asking about the flush, you know, asking about the straight and if they actually had the flush, they might be like, Oh no, I don't have the straight, you know, and it makes you more, it makes it more actionable, more, uh, more something you can act on and, and knowing that it's become much more likely that they are actually, uh, relaxed in that spot. But, uh, yeah. That's, that's just the, uh, one of the, one of the things I, I recommend if you're, if you're going to try to ask about hand strength is try to pick something that's not the absolute, uh, not right, not side of the, the range, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, how important do you think the emphasis on the word nut is? Because for my, my seat, it seems like there something, it's sort of, I don't know exactly how to describe this pattern of speech, but there's something about saying like, I don't have the nut flush is, is very specifically sort of coded language for I have the flush. Yeah, Where exactly. I don't oh, have yeah. Nut flush without any emphasis. Yeah, is not. So, do you think there's I, a big I, difference? I agree. Yeah, like I was going to say, without the emphasis, I would ha not have a strong opinion on it. Like I would think like it could go either way, but with the emphasis, I would be much more feel much more comfortable calling. So, yeah, to to answer your question, I think that emphasis really gives away what he's trying to do because it's so such a super. I mean, it's such a obvious. Uh, 
you know, statement of basically saying I have the flush, you know, which should make you, you know, it, 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 that, that, that should make you uh, suspect that it's become a lot more likely that he's bluffing because it, it, even though it's a bit still more indirect, you know, it's not like he's telling us I have the flush, which would be, you know, hard to interpret, I think, but because he's doing it in an indirect way, basically saying I have the flush, it, it does become more likely he's, he's bluffing and trying to influence us to fold. So I, I actually think yeah, without the, without the emphasis, I would be kind of, it wouldn't give me that much information because the, the, these statements do vary. Like the, um, when I, when I said that they were, you know, the, the, the absolute nut removal, it's more like it makes it less actionable. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're bluffing, but so without the emphasis, I would have been like, Oh, this could go either way. I wouldn't be surprised to see him have either one. Right. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That it makes a lot of sense. What is it about? It's it's really interesting to me that it seems like this kind of level one reverse psychology is what we're all kind of naturally hardwired to do. Right. The the the, the weak means strong. Like the the simple reversal is is what we're wired to do. And then with a little bit of like indirectness thrown in sometimes like this. Like he doesn't want to say you know we instinctually don't want to say like. You know, he, he doesn't want to say, I have the flush, but he wants to say that in an indirect way, which is what he's doing with, right. well, I don't have the nut flush. It's a, it's a more indirect, like we, we, we have a natural inclination to like be deceptive in an indirect way and not, not be on the very uh, superficial direct, uh, you know, mode of communication. It's, it's just interesting, like the sort of social commentary aspect of that, thinking that that is a behavior that has been selected for which must mean it works. And, and clearly I think it probably does. I mean, here it, <laughs> you know, not to make you the butt of it, James, but it worked against you. It's true. And it, there's something, when I first heard the hand, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm primed to be looking out for weak means strong, but it, it kind of got me too. Although I think that's almost more like anomalous or that's maybe not the right word, but that, that's sort of a nuanced way of it getting by us where I think a lot of other weak meat strong, strong this week does not get by us. But yeah, there's, it's surprising that that works so well yet we haven't strongly selected for people who like naturally see through that necessarily. It's like, we're just, we evolved to this like level one deception. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, I think it makes sense too, because it's, you know, poker is such a unique environment because we, the thing that makes it different from real life is that we assume, you know, we're looking for those spots. We assume others are deceiving us. Whereas in most normal life situations, you know, like when we were evolving, you know, as animals, like it's not assumed in every situation that your, um, that your opponent, your other person is being deceptive, right? Like we, we tend to assume in social environments and real life, most real life environments that people are being truthful. Whereas at the poker table, you're assuming everyone's lying to you. So it kind of uh, is an interesting environment. And that's why I think a lot of like general behavior, people get stuff about poker wrong because they're taking ideas that apply to non-deceptive, you know, non-assumed deception environments and trying to apply to a assumed deceptive deception environment. Right. It is, I guess like sort of the GTO way of doing it where it's probably better to trust everything than not believe anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. If you had to err on, on one side. Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of it would depend on your general environment and the people around you too. But um, yeah, I think you'd, you'd probably be best erring on the, on the believing. Yeah. It's uh, I think actually this, this side of poker has been useful training in other areas of life. We all are very used to the idea of like, you know, I, I, or here's how I'll put it. The praises of poker as like a risk management teaching device are highly lauded in many areas. It's no secret that like people think being a good poker player is something that like contributes to being like a good investor or a good trader or whatever. I actually think that practice being in an environment where people are just like 
highly incentivized to lie to you is very good training. And we don't necessarily want to acknowledge that because it's not fun to think that we're going through life or we're going through our lives with lots of people lying to us all the time, but we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so just having a hands-on sort of experience with people lying to you in a situation where like, it's not so reprehensible mm-hmm. is nice and can kind of open your mind to the idea that like, Hmm, you know, maybe this is just how people are doing everything. <laughs> right. right. Uh, not to be too dark or anything. Yeah. But I was kind of thinking about this idea, like with respect to like, social like relationships are like um maybe it's a little bit like less consequential than markets but like if someone says like oh like i'm sick like i can't go to your thing like what is the chance that they're actually sick it's like well i don't know i think like there's a person you can look at it like there's a percentage of chance that like they were they're actually like down with the flu and like there's a percentage of chance that they just decide they didn't want to go and like that was the the easy like face saving out you know so yeah if you run those numbers by like the cdc statistics you're probably gonna come to a conclusion more or less that like you know the guy who is three betting ten percent he doesn't only have premiums you know yeah <laughs> so yeah the same realization we should so there should be some uh, some kind of thing we can set up where you can call people's bluffs for white lies they tell you uh, <laughs> Like uh, you know, you set up some sort of uh, you know um, blockchain where we can uh, make money off like calling people out for their fake uh, excuses if you're not to a party or something. Well, this is this is actually, I mean, you know, the value of prediction markets in a way is like, what's a good way to see if someone's lying? Can you get them to like put money behind their? Statement? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it might be hard to like do that to your friend who is telling you that they're sick. But yeah, yeah. You know, if you ask someone, do you think, uh, you know, candidate X will win the election and there's no money behind that or like, who are you voting for? And there's no money behind that statement that can be taken away if, you know, they're lying and there, there's not much of a reason to trust what's being said. Yeah, it's like it reminds me of uh, and you know all these crazy people I I know who would would try to tell me like Obama's going to get arrested and Hillary's going to get arrested. I'm like, uh, how much are you going to bet me? Because I would give you very good odds, and they're like, oh, I'd I'd bet a dollar. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice conviction, buddy. But, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, okay, you can you can pretty much tell uh, where what people actually believe versus what they claim to believe too. That's the other thing. Like people have all these crazy conspiracy theories, and you're like well, let's bet on what you think the likelihood of this evidence coming out is, and then they'll, they'll shut up. Yeah, I think that's part of something I really enjoy uh, about poker players and being with poker players is the propensity to like challenge a statement through offering a bet. Like mm-hmm. if you're in a, a really competitive poker game with people who just like action and you you know, put out some total bullshit, chances are someone's going to try and bet you on it, which maybe actually enforces like some kind of better conversation where like, you know, most people who are not in the poker are are not in some kind of like gambling oriented world, whether it's like trading or poker, they're not going to think to do that. I wanted to um, ask what you're working on, just shifting gears a little bit, um, what you're working on these days, Zach. I know you have another you have a podcast that you're doing. Is that right? Yeah, I have a podcast. Uh, it's non poker, but poker comes up in it occasionally. It's a, just about behavior and psychology. It's called people who read people. And, mm-hmm. uh, I want to do more of that. Like I have a few, um, things in the queue for interesting conversations and interviews. And I want to do more of that. So far I've only done like 14 over the course of like a year and a half or something. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really fun for me. I, I don't get that many, listeners, but I always uh, end up learning something just from the conversation and like the people that are into it who like, you know, I've got, had a lot of people say it was, uh, you know, just really interesting conversation. So I like, um, like putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I was listening to, um, I think there was one on 
someone who is studying like deception games, like like some of these. Oh like, yeah, like Secret Hitler, Secret Hitler, games. yeah, and um, yeah, <laughs> Werewolf. Yeah. yeah, I was playing this game called it's like Fake Artist or something where over the holidays where like everyone looks at like someone writes down something that you're going to draw and like everyone like draws a line or like um, keeps their pen on the paper for a certain time to like draw it. But someone like gets like a blank sheet. So like they don't know what they're drawing and you have to guess like who the, who the fake artist was like based on the drawings. But it was a, yeah, I was, I found it easier to guess based on people's behavior (laughs) after looking at their tiles. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, studying poker tells really does get you, you know, you, you have such a leg up on these. Uh, I mean, these are all obviously very social fun games, but I feel yeah. like it's kind of like we said, like it, it, it primes you for thinking in these ways that make a lot of games so much easier, you know, and, and you can just kind of pick up a lot of patterns that apply to poker that apply to other games. But yeah, these, these social deduction games are, are pretty fascinating. You know, they, they have so many elements of, um, you know, deception and um, reading people and, and figure just logical deduction to, you know, um, they actually kind of stress me out because there, there's, there's so many factors in them. Like I find myself just kind of getting overwhelmed with how much information there is in them and I don't really know what to concentrate on versus poker. Like poker, there's like just a few elements that, you know, of factors that you can concentrate on. Uh, but yeah, I, t- I tend to just kind of get overwhelmed in these games and, and think like, whoa, there's so much information here. Uh, well, it should be just a fun thing anyway, but you know, yeah, tend to overthink it. Just you know, <laughs> yeah. I think I mean, with other games, honestly, I feel like there's there's something about getting really, really good at one game that gives you an appreciation for like the amount of things there are to think about potentially in a game. Mm-hmm. Where it can be stressful to like all of a sudden be in a game environment where you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, it's or especially it's when you can sort of taste like what you should be thinking about, but it's just hard to synthesize in the moment. Right. It's kind of for me, it feels like some uh, personal failure where I'm like, I should just be enjoying this game, but I've been primed by poker to like take it take games so seriously, like I can't relax, and I'm like, oh, I just want to figure this out, <laughs> but yeah. I should just I should just relax. Poker really ruined chess for me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. I don't really like, feel like thinking about twenty moves ahead, like very <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's kind of like you you get to the point where you're like, why am I playing this if I'm not going to devote all my time to it? <laughs> Which is a bad. It's not a good place to be at. It's just kind of like what poker did to me anyway. Yeah. If uh, you know, if we were all going to live to a thousand, then maybe it'd be more worthwhile to mm-hmm. stick mm-hmm. around at like a game like chess. You know, one of these like low level sort of not thinking man's games like chess. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll stick to candy crush, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. I've never played it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, well guys, James, do you think you may want to do one rap player hand to take us out of here? Oh, sure. Bonus hand for those who stuck around. Yeah, yeah, we'll do a fast one. All right. Okay, this one's kind of fun. Oh, so also I think, like, some of the value of tells is, like, you can just be a little bit more confident. Like, maybe you're going to call anyway, but making it an easier decision to call can, like, I think for me it can help me, like, play for longer and, like, like having a little bit less uncertainty can can help a lot with the longer sessions. But anyway, here's one where maybe I would have called anyway, but the tell just made me super confident in the call. So I raised 15 with king of clubs, 10 of clubs, and uh, this pretty loose, aggressive player um, under the gun one called and everyone else folded. It was like one, three, 300 spread. And the flop, so we have 27 going into the flop, and the flop is queen, queen, deuce with two clubs. So I bet $10 here, and under the gun one, snap called. Um, what kind of range are you, do you think that looks like, Zach? 
a snap call on that, I think that's going to be like, you know, low pair, like mid pair. Yeah. So. Probably. Maybe an ace uh, high. Yeah, maybe an ace high. Do you think it's yeah. just something that doesn't want you to bet on the next street? No, I just I think he just doesn't have that much of a decision. Yeah, I think it could be it could be ace king or something or you know or you know depending. He on would the he would place. three bet that pre flop. He, he was would, pretty okay, loose yeah. aggressive. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, honestly, I think I I don't think it'll like. I kind of wonder if it would be just an ace. I, I don't know how often it'll be. I guess. Yeah. I guess maybe do that with ace jack, but I just kind of wonder how many right. people just like. If, if you said it was like a strange like snap call and kind of yeah, we think it we think it leans mid pair. Yeah, I think it leans yeah. there. I mean, I, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. could have like ace jack and stuff. I guess that yeah. makes sense to me. I all I'll add is that I think there are some sometimes a snap call is like a no decision. Other times a snap call is like trying to you know dissuade bluffing on future streets. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, like a defensive, yeah, like a defensive thing, yeah. So the turn was the ace of diamonds. Uh, there's 47 in the pot, and I decided to bet 20, which is a little under half pot, but I thought it was like, uh, like we pick up a gutter as well as our uh, What did you have again? Flush draw. I have king, 10 of clubs. Oh, okay. And the, the flop was gotcha. queen, yeah. queen, deuce with two clubs. Yeah. And the turn is an uh, Ace of Diamonds, and yeah, so I bet twenty here. I th- I thought I wanted to pick a size that I thought I could still be getting value with, um, like Ace King, Ace Jack, um, maybe Ace Ten against his low pairs. Um, I think you're lev- leveling yourself there. Uh, yeah, just for what it's worth. Like, yeah, does Ace King maybe want to choose that size? But you have King Ten, so you don't want him to call with those hands. So, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you think he's gonna if you think he's gonna be thinking like, oh, well, Ace King might bet that size, and therefore I'm going to fold. Then yeah, that's, that, that makes sense more. But, that's kind of what I th- wanted him to think. But I wouldn't choose a size exclusively because you would choose it with Ace King because the reason you would choose it with Ace King is probably the reason you're not gonna want to choose it with King Ten most likely. Yeah. Um, That's not solver approved. I was also like, yeah, I also thought like maybe I could triple off here. So like him calling, like based on how he called the turn, like if he has this mid pair, it's going to be really hard for him to hold on on the river, on a lot of rivers. And he, he snap called turn again. Can, can I say something else about it? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Please. Yes, I think a couple other factors when he when he snap calls the flop. Um, there's a couple other factors here. Like if it if it was a queen queen deuce rainbow, and if he was not an aggressive player, then I think a snap call you know doesn't give us as much information. Like he could be doing that with the queen, but I think mm-hmm. the fact that it's uh, there's two clubs out there, and the fact that um, you said he was a you know a pretty aggressive player, like those things make it hugely unlikely that he's ever going to be doing that with a queen, you know, because, uh, one, he's, you know, if he, if he's at all aggressive, he's going to want to, uh, at least think about raising with a queen and or a flush draw, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or flush draw. Uh, he's, he's going to, yeah, he's going to think about it with flush, flush draw. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, yeah, two clubs out there. Like he's, he's a, he's a, if he's a pretty aggressive player, he's going to at least think about raising with a, with a queen. Yeah, and the clubs too, right? So I just wanted to clarify. Like, yeah, if, if it was a more passive player, like a kind of, there's definitely some players that, like, I wouldn't be surprised. To, uh, you know, the, on the more passive side, who are, are going to like snap call with three queens and try to do some kind of tricky trap thing. But, yeah, uh, but there's those guys are still unlikely to do it when there's two clubs out there too. They're you know if they're going to slow play, they're going to think about it for a couple seconds. You know, so I just want to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah great stuff. All right. Speed round, we're moving on to the river. Uh, 87 in the pot. The river is an ace, not the ace of clubs. So, gotcha. So, you have what are you, what are you thinking here, Jack? Let me, let me get your take. Uh, well, I don't think you have any incentive really to bet, clearly. Mm-hmm. So, we're checking. 
and we're probably not folding because our opponent has quite a few hands that are air and we have a hand that's not air. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I check and under the gun one quickly bet and he did not count his stack, not count the number of chips he put in. He put in like a, he put in a stack of chips without counting. He didn't knock him over. I thought, I thought it was a pretty clear call. The snap calls and the fact that he's, I mean, he's very aggressive. Yeah, it just made me feel like pretty confident about bluff catching here. Um, what do you think of the betting 65 quickly without counting, Zach? I mean, I think that'll vary a good amount. I, I quick bets tend to skew towards bluffs, but I don't think it's a big factor unless mm -hmm. you have some player history. But I definitely think like the reason it skews towards bluffs is because you know players with value hands usually want to think for a little bit about the best sizing and things like that. Uh, sometimes people feel like it's you know bluffers feel like it's their only option and uh, kind of like feel an incentive to bet quickly, things like that. But it's still a it's still a small um, skew towards bluffs, but yeah, all the, all these things that you've said like lead towards him not having much. But that that is to say, I, I don't know if um, I think you would still call in the absence of all this stuff too. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah, I think we can just feel a bit more confident about our call, um, right. given right. this information, which which is nice, like. If you're, you know, if you're putting in these long sessions, like, yeah, you want to be like saving, about, saving yeah. your mental energy for like, or like, yeah, it allows you to save it for like really close spots. And it's easy so, to yeah. imagine. It's easy to imagine another hand where it was a little closer to you with this these mm -hmm. same spots. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I call feeling pretty good about it, and um, he turns over nine nine pocket nines. And yeah. yeah, nice call. I think this is, it's important to, or it's worth mentioning that I think this player, it's just a general sizing error here. He needs to recognize that he should be betting an extremely polarized range here on the river and that he's very bluff heavy. And that means that, well, for me, that means I never bluff. Uh, but <laughs> at, at the very least, it should mean that you're bluffing extremely sparingly, maybe with like, combinations of pairs that double block the suited aces or like if we had a hand like tens even that i don't know the thing is yeah we just have far more bluffs than we have aces most likely and when we have an ace we want to go very big since you know our our value targets there's quite a few and none of them are going to raise so i, I think my sizing here would probably be more like or how much was in the pot on the river 85 you said yeah something like that I mean, I think it's a reasonable spot to go like, you know, 150 with your betting range. And I probably like only bet aces here and always bet like 150. And I think it's a pretty good way to play this spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially I, if I you're... I guess it's a little different at the low stakes when you can get kings to fold. Yeah. You know, sometimes I forget that like, maybe we can get some bluffs through or maybe we're incentivized to like bet smaller because King X or Queen X is a lot more likely to fold. I'm thinking more about the fact that our opponent should recognize that we have quite a few hands that just got counterfeit and don't have quite as many aces. Yeah. I mean, we're probably not calling this with Jack high. So we could have Jack 10 here. So it's not, it's not the worst. I guess we could, call with jack high that's pretty <laughs> be a big call yeah i mean with your read like i think even calling with like 10 9 of or 10 9 makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. yeah i think i think so considering like i do think his quick with that quick call on the flap i think you could justify calling with a lot of hands okay yeah i think calling with like seven eight maybe is starting to get a little <laughs> <laughs> We would have lost in this case. <laughs> that would have been way more yeah. fun, though, 
to have 10, nine, <laughs> 10, nine. Yeah. Then it would be close. Mm-hmm. All right. And if you're going for the good story, then call with <laughs> seven, eight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Zach, I really want to thank you for coming on again. Uh, we'll have to get you another ring in 2023, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll put that on my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that, well, there's a lot of places people can find you, but, and we'll put those in the show notes, but why don't you quickly recap everywhere people can go to get more Zach Elwood insight. Uh, yeah. If you want to check out my podcast, uh, that's at people who read people and that's on all the, you know, iTunes and, and Spotify, those kinds of places. Uh, appreciate anybody checking that out. If you like psychology and behavior type stuff. Uh, and then I'd say check out my video series at readingpokertells.video. I have some samples up there and I'm working on a video right now to add to that. Uh, like at a video every few months or so. And then I'm on Twitter at a poker player. Yeah. And thank you guys for having me on. It was a fun conversation. It was cool. When James sent that hand, I was like, Oh, that that's a, that's a good one to talk about. Yeah. James, thank you again for setting this up. Uh, Zach, Thank you for coming back on. Remember, and, people, the the pros don't want you to look at Zach's work, so it's probably pretty good. <laughs> yep. Thank you. All right, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.